are now listening to the InterBR Podcast. I'm Chris Miranda, your host, and today I'm joined by Noah Robinson. He is a doctoral student at Vanderbilt University studying clinical psychology. He's also known as Psych in VR chat. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited because this is something I am, uh, th- this is, the things that you're doing in VR chat and the uh, work that you've been involved in, not only just being a co-host in Endgame, which is an awesome show, but uh, you're also, I believe you're doing um, mental health work in virtual reality. Can you tell me a bit yeah. more about what you've been up to? Yeah, so um, basically I have been using virtual reality to treat addiction. And when I say addiction, it's uh, I've been working at an inpatient drug rehab facility. So these are patients who um, are coming to rehab uh, from addictions to things like opioids, alcohol, benzodiazepines, those kinds of things. And um, we've been using virtual reality to try to help to treat them. Um, and it's kind of been over the past year, uh, I mean, I've been using, I've been interested in using virtual reality for three years and I'm, I just finished my second year of the graduate program, but this has really started over the past year at the inpatient facility and kind of exploring how virtual reality can be used to treat addiction. How are the initial reactions to the technology when you introduce it to patients? Yeah. So basically, uh, at first, we just started my kind of placement. So this is like a clinical practicum as part of my doctoral training and to, to get clinical hours because I'm trained to become a psychologist. And uh, my clinical placement was in the detox unit where patients come, uh, you know, they've come, they probably, you know, they've hit rock bottom and they come to detox uh, and that's kind of, they're there for three or four days and then they go up to the, uh, in like the kind of houses, it's like a beautiful campus and stuff like that. And they, they kind of do group therapy for, uh, 10 hours a day for about 28 days. Um, and, uh, in detox, I, I was doing intake interviews, um, and I had the first patient and she, uh, you know, she had a very intense story and she'd actually attempted suicide, uh, and ended up in the hospital and then switched, uh, to, uh, our rehab center, which is called journey pure. Um, and she, uh, you know, she was injecting heroin and her parents were forcing her to do prostitution and things like that to get money for heroin. And, um, it was just a really, really bad situation. And she was telling me all this. And then afterwards I said, uh, okay, so I, I had brought the vibe to, uh, the rehab center. And so I said to her, do you want to try some virtual reality? And she said, sure. And she was really withdrawn and kind of, you know, negatively, a lot of negative emotion after t- going through this whole story. Uh, and she put on the headset. And even before I could launch the tutorial, uh, she was like in the Steam VR house or whatever, you know, the, the Steam home mm-hmm. area with the cabin. And, and she she's like, oh, my God, this is so beautiful. I've only been hiking once, but... Uh, you know, I've never seen mountains this beautiful. And then I launched the tutorial and she starts laughing and smiling when the little robot, uh, you know, starts talking to her and stuff. And, um, so there's this instant transformation of her mood, uh, from negative, withdrawn, very sad, anxious to positive, happy, engaged, uh, almost like this, like a flick of the switch and the switch was putting on the virtual reality headset. So that's kind of what led 
me to realize that kind of after that experience and I started doing that with more and more patients, I started to shift my research focus towards using virtual reality to treat addiction because here's this tool that can actually help people regulate their emotion, which is often why they're using drugs in the first place. So it seems like a really powerful uh, potential intervention. Wow, that's so powerful. That's insane. And I, I, from personal experience, I feel like I've been using virtual reality as a tool for my own mental health as well. Because mm. I, um, my, my psychiatrist uh, said that I suffer from uh, survivor's, survivor syndrome. And, and it's affected, uh, has, a, has had a, one of the, what's one, it's been one of the factors that affected my depression. And, and, and going into virtual reality, going into VR chat, going into alt space, hanging out in Spark, or just playing a little bit of Space Pirate or Tilt Brush, these things break that thought loop, the, the negative spiral yes. of, of, of thought loops that, that you get caught up in. And it's like, and it's like for me, it's like this, this really nasty voice in the back of my head that just says all these nasty things. Imagine the worst thing that you can say to someone that's always repeating in the back of my head. But and then I go in VR and I get into this flow state and I break that thought loop and it's like, Holy shit. <laughs> this is like on demand. I have this on demand. I can do this whenever I want. And so I exactly. can't wait for this to be more widely accepted and more available, you know, because the potential feels like it's infinite. Um, but but where do you where are you finding the limitations of the technology? Because I'm sure you've been pushing it and figuring out where 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 is it more effective and where is it not as effective, do you think? Yeah. Well, also, I just want to comment on what, what what you just said. I think that's really, really amazing. And, we, you know, I keep hearing that in VR chat, especially in social VR, where people are experiencing um, really positive effects. And I think it's uh, there's this term called behavioral activation to treat depression. And the idea is that depression is characterized by um, it's actually people think that they're not going to enjoy activities. So they kind of don't do them. So it's like they don't go out and hang out with friends because Maybe they're feeling badly and they don't think that they're going to enjoy it. Uh, but when, if they do force themselves to go out and engage in those behaviors, they actually do enjoy it. And it actually kind of helps to treat the depression. And what's so cool about the virtual reality is that um, even if someone thinks, oh, I'm not feeling that great or whatever, all you have to do is lift up a helmet and put it on. And then all of a sudden you're playing racquetball or you're talking to friends and all that kind of stuff. So the barrier to engaging in, in, in positive activities and, and breaking those thought loops, like you said, uh, is, is lowered. And I think also, I think it's really cool that you use the word flow, because I also agree that I think flow is a very important construct that is potentially why people are not thinking about those negative thoughts in the back of their head. It's, it's, it's this kind of uh, this flow state that you get in, which is typically referred to like, like in sports, you know, when you're engaged in something and, and kind of fully your attention is fully consumed by it. So I think that's a really important property of why we're seeing um, some of those positive effects. What is it about VR and its ability to unlock these flow states? Why, why is that happening? I think it's because it's kind of consuming our resources. Uh, this is actually something that Claw in VR chat, um, we talked a lot about this, and he's the one who first kind of proposed this. And I, I really, it, it definitely stuck with me that basically the the VR is consuming our attentional resources. So you don't, you're not focused on uh, your cognitions uh, from the past or your thoughts and things like that. Um, you're kind of engaged in something and the environment has changed as well. So that's an important concept is that, you know, when we're in our home, 
Um, you know, right now I'm looking at my desk, I see my TV, all that kind of stuff. Like that's all related to my environment and the, the, the thoughts I carry with me every day. And, you know, you're kind of trained to have a certain association with your home. If you put on a VR headset and go into VR chat and are in a completely novel world and are exploring, you know, like artist 3D's beautiful dream world, which is where I take patients uh, a lot of the time, um, then all of a sudden you have uh, this brand new novel experience that's completely immersive and distracting you from um, the other kind of uh, negative thoughts or emotions. Um, and, and also there's a kind of, um, I mean, I guess if you want, I can ex- kind of explain the, the theory, I guess, behind what we're doing. Cause there's uh, um, basically we're using cognitive behavioral therapy as our kind of uh, I- intervention. And there's a, it's kind of a, the idea behind cognitive behavioral therapy is that we all have thoughts, feelings, and behaviors uh, and then we also have physiology, which is, you know, whatever's happening in our body, all of that occurs in our environment, like a big circle around our thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and physiology. If you imagine those are all connected and then there's a circle encompassing them. And, um, basically with therapy, you know, the goal is to reduce negative emotion, negative feelings, but it's really hard for any of us to decide I'm not going to feel badly anymore. We can't just make ourselves not feel badly, but the things connected to our feelings, our thoughts, behaviors and physiology, the other three of the four, uh, kind of components, um, you can do things with those. So thoughts, you can teach someone to challenge those automatic negative thoughts. Um, so if someone like that loop that's in the back of your head, Mm -hmm. you can teach people how to, um, you know, say, well, what's the evidence that that's actually true? What's the evidence that's not true? So that's the thought part to address negative feelings. For behaviors, you can also engage in um, an activating behavior. So that's like what we were just talking about with behavioral activation. And then physiology, you can take medication. So again, there's thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and physiology. And to change our feelings, you can try to target thoughts, behaviors, and physiology. Um, But I think what virtual reality is doing, and this is kind of where my um, master's thesis is coming into play that I'm working on now, is that it's encompassing the environment is that big circle around our thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and physiology. And what, what virtual reality is doing is completely changing the environment. And so if you change the context of where we experience our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, then all of a sudden... Um, you're able to replace those negative feelings and cognitions with new ones and engage in really positive behaviors. And I think it's like this whole new way uh, in cognitive behavioral therapy that we're going to be able to like treat, you know, anxiety and depression and addiction and all those kinds of things. What do you think is the, it, and this is my theory. Um, I'm not, it's not very based on science, but I think, but for me, it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense that it, Anxiety and depression feels like a lot of a battle between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala. Um, I feel like my 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 um, if if we define the amygdala as a part of the brain that is the place where you have the flight or flight response, I I, I feel like um, that part of my brain is hyperactive. And I have to have a constant tug and pull uh, between trying to activate my prefrontal cortex and say, hey, why am I having these like paranoid, weird thoughts, you know, that something bad is going to happen when when I have no evidence for it. And it's difficult to unlock that. Do you see VR being a, a, a mechanism, a tool for perhaps activating the prefrontal cortex a little bit more? And is my theory at all sound? What do you think?
Yeah, I mean, I think that what we're seeing basically to get back to like, you know, I started doing with the detox patients and we're seeing that the just playing games and the tutorial and stuff were helping to regulate their emotions. But then we started to actually deliver cognitive behavioral therapy in the virtual reality after that virtual reality was helping to regulate their emotions. And so I think what happens is that it's not necessarily that the virtual reality can change the prefrontal cortex directly. But I think what happens is that the virtual reality can regulate people's emotions and put them into a calmer state emotionally. And then if we deliver therapy to them while they're in that state, it's like they can absorb it more effectively and learn because they're not experiencing the anxiety that you're trying to teach them about. um, And it's not distracting them from the therapy session. So it's almost like the therapy that takes place in the virtual reality is more effective potentially than the therapy that takes place in person. And so then the person takes off the head. So they're in, they're in the virtual reality in VR chat, which is where I've been doing, I've been doing therapy in the presentation room in VR chat. Um, And, you know, I do, basically we explore worlds and I do the therapy and, uh, then we, you know, and, and they're feeling calmer and then they take off the headset and all of a sudden that negative emotion starts to come back as they get back into their own environment. Maybe something happens. What we're finding is that because we've delivered the therapy in this immersive context, that potentially the therapy is more effective in that, um, as the person takes off the headset and the negative emotion starts to come back, they're able to use those skills and visualize the model that we just drew together in, in VR chat and then um, apply it to novel situations. And normally this takes four or six sessions, um, four or six weeks of, of, of therapy to get to the point where the patient's able to pause, take a step back and reframe or those kinds of things. But for some reason, with the virtual reality, after one or two sessions, they're able to actually do the skills that are needed for uh, effective regulation of their emotions. Um, and so there's like something about the immersive quality of therapy, I think, and, and the different state that the person's put in when they're in the virtual reality that potentially makes it more effective. Yeah, and I wonder if you had this thought wherein are we perhaps replacing one addiction for the other? Do you think that perhaps people will get addicted to virtual reality um, because now they have this alternative pathway to releasing that dopamine to getting that 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 high, so to speak? I don't know if that's a good word. I don't feel like I don't feel like I get high in virtual yeah. reality, but do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, you feel yeah. I mean, there's something appealing about it. It makes us feel good. Um, I think that. Uh, a key here is that if you take people who are addicted to a psychoactive substance, they're putting something in their body that's external, that's affecting their neurotransmitters, that's leading to pleasure, versus using virtual reality, which is only changing your environment to elicit dopaminergic you know, responses and have like positive um, emotional experiences. Uh, the key difference is that One is introducing this pharmacological agent, this external substance to your body, and the other is training your brain on how to produce positive emotional experiences all on its own. So I actually think that, um, yes, you know, some people might characterize it as addiction, and it could be possible that people start spending too many hours in virtual reality, and and they're just, you know, they're losing function in real life, but um, it's a blurry line, and I think that overall, 
the key is that, you know, like more people are dying from opioid overdose and drug overdose, um, in the, at least in the United States, than suicide or gun violence or fatal car crashes. So, so many people are dying that I think if we have an epidemic of virtual reality use, uh, that would be a really positive change compared to, you know, all these people who are dying right now. 60,000 people a year are here, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's going up. That's insane. That's crazy. Yeah. Man. It's really sad. Uh, And, you know, for some, I I was having a conversation with Nomono the other day and we were talking about like, you know, for, for all the talk we have about mental health, mental health here, mental health, that in this country, here we have now the perhaps one of the best tools out there for the for mental health and and we and people don't know about it yet you know it's it's i know you know and so what do you think it's going to take for 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 this uh technology to be more widely accepted and and for more people to realize its true potential in, in the realm of mental health well funny you should say that because i'm glancing over at my oculus go that i just sprinted to Best Buy to pick up because I didn't know that they were basically last night it leaked that Facebook was announcing today that they were on sale at Best Buy or whatever. Um, So I think that cheaper headsets will help people understand what virtual reality is and see the potential. And I'm really excited to try the Oculus Go because it's going to be my little personal experiment of, uh, you know, how immersive is this? Do I get bored with it? I found with the Gear VR that I was, which is, for people who don't know, it's like, you know, the Oculus Go, Gear VR, they're all basically mobile processors that are standalone headsets. Um, The Oculus Go is a little bit better. I think it has better resolution and stuff. But um, I found that compared to desktop-based VR, the the mobile VR just wasn't engaging enough. Like, I kind of got, it was cool, but it was kind of like, all right, I'm not really coming back to this. Um, whereas the desktop based VR, which is, you know, $1,400 for everything that you need to, you know, if you talk about a patient and mental health who, who needs, uh, if, if it is more effective uh, compared to 250 or $200 for the Oculus Go. But I think that um, so the more affordable VR will help people understand that VR has potential. But I think that um, we need research and an evidence-based intervention that is proven to be successful. Um, and I, I have a feeling that the desktop-based VR is going to be the best way to go um, just because, uh, you know, billions of dollars are spent on mental health. So I'm actually not that concerned with the cost. A lot of people are saying, oh, well, the cost is too high to adopt. But, you know, $1,400 is one and a half days of inpatient rehab. You know, uh, 28 days of inpatient rehab can be twenty to thirty thousand uh, dollars, and that and people relapse and they go back to rehab. So you know, that's sixty thousand, seventy thousand dollars only. But some people relapse four and five times, and health insurance is paying for that and all that kind of stuff. So I think in the scheme of things, or even depression, depression has billions of dollars of costs in the economy due to um, uh, people who go to work and aren't focused as much or people who don't go to work or uh, like suicide or those kinds of things. So um, I think that it's less about the cost of the technology and more about proving that it works. And I think that people will be willing to spend $1,400 on, on, on equipment before they're looking up a therapist and spending $200 a pop on 60 minutes of therapy. I think if they can buy a $1,400 setup and then get access to therapy, maybe that, you know, maybe that could be uh, a more appealing thing for people. And not to mention all the people who already own the technology who could benefit from therapy as well, like, you know, people in VR chat and stuff. Exactly. The return on investment uh, on the, in the realm of mental health is huge. My antidepressants are more than $1,000 a month. 
And thank goodness for insurance. Wow. Otherwise, otherwise, I don't know where I'd be. And 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 even then, even then, they're not a miracle drug. They they don't they don't block intrusive thoughts as good as going inside VR chat and seeing exactly a, a bunch of Pikachu's dancing on the dance floor like that. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird that it's like it's like it may, the antidepressants they'll make you physio- phys- physiologically you feel you feel good, but like. But it doesn't. But it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't block the intrusive thoughts. And the only thing that I found to be helpful for me has been to break the thought loops inside of VR chat. To just be completely inundated by a completely different world, completely different setting, different people, and and, and seek out hilarity and positive expressions of humanity in those places. And and all of a sudden, it's like bam! I'm like, oh man, what was I doing again? It's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's a really powerful tool and it's it's a regulating, you know, it helps to regulate emotions and distract from the cognitions. Although, I think one cool thing that I'm trying to build is that, you know, what if you were actually able to learn how to control the cognitions in real life so that you, not only are you going into virtual reality and finding these helpful effects, but you're actually learning how to develop the skills to, you know, control them in real life as well. Yes. I think that's an important, like right now people are realizing that there's this property of virtual reality that helps to regulate emotion. But what if we deliver therapy while that emotion is being regulated? I think that's the real power uh, potentially of, of the VR. Yeah. Being able to, being able to bring back that, that knowledge and that skill to chill out, to activate the prefrontal cortex and say to myself, listen, everything's going to be okay. I, you know, that would be amazing. And, 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 and I wonder, like, have, have you seen any studies being done in the realm of psychology and virtual reality? Like, have there been? Yeah. 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 um, So primarily there's two areas um, that I've seen. So one is that researchers say virtual reality, and sometimes they're just talking about a 2D computer screen, which really pisses me off because that's not virtual reality, but, um, uh, I mean, I guess compared to like pen and paper, it's technically virtual reality, but you know, um, but anyway, the, the immersive head headset based or cave systems, um, that kind of research seems to be two primary areas. I mean, there's more, but, uh, one is, uh, exposure therapy. So PTSD, um, post-traumatic stress disorder and phobias is exposure therapy can, can help with those. And that's basically, um, phobias is expose someone to stimuli that they're afraid of, like spiders, dogs, heights, things like that cops. in virtual reality. What if I'm afraid yeah. of cops? Yeah, you can do that, that too. too. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, and then you, you know, basically expose them and then they they learn how to control that affect that, or the emotion that arises and regulate it and learn that it's not as bad and things like that. Um, and then, so that's phobias. PTSD is also exposure, but it's actually exposure to the trauma. So taking a veteran back to what, you know, to, uh, Afghanistan, uh, virtual Iraq, those kinds of things. Um, or actually same with sexual assault survivors. If you actually put them in like a motel, you don't have to recreate everything, but if you put them in a context like that, then deliver therapy, then it's very effective as well. Uh, and then the other areas, pain treatment has been really, uh, successful, like using um, a snow world to treat burn victims. So they have a little game that they play uh, in, a, in a snowy kind of environment. It's like a 
wave shooter kind of thing with little snowballs and penguins, whatever. And um, while their third third degree burn victims are getting their bandages changed and it's um, as effective as opioids in in treating their pain. So those are the two main areas that um, I've seen so far. But I think you're kind of taking, especially with the exposure therapy, it's kind of the most obvious application, which is let's take the stimuli that are causing negative emotion and we'll recreate it in virtual reality and expose it to them. And then we'll teach people how to overcome that. And that is super effective and it's a really great application. But I think that's just the beginning because some of the things we're talking about in terms of going into social VR and having a positive experience and having regulating effects and things like that, that's a very different thing, a different beast than just showing people stimuli that they're afraid of and having them not be afraid anymore. This is like eliciting positive emotion and that's very, that's difficult. And in therapy, it's easy to, or not easy, but therapy in general, you know, uh, you can help people decrease their negative emotion, um, but increasing the positive emotion, and, and we kind of think of these as two separate dimensions kind of thing, um, increasing the positive emotion is a lot more difficult, but VR seems very, very effective at doing that. So that seems to be a good area. That's that's incredible, and and pardon me for uh, being too honest because I'm a bit of an open book. But I was molested when that's I was okay. a little kid, and I can't understand. I'm still trying to grasp why would me being exposed to that traumatic experience make it be it better? Like why? Like 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 I I know in this case of spiders, in the case of like you know, like, like war, like I can see that connection, but I can't see that connection with like sexual assault for some reason. Can you help me understand how that would work? Well, one, I'm sorry, you know, I'm really sorry to hear that, you know, that happened to you and everything. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's kind of, so it's not that it would be used for everyone who's had sexual assault happen to them. It's more that if the person has PTSD as a result of that. So PTSD is characterized by intense avoidance. Like someone with PTSD would not be able to just say what you just did. Um, You know, like they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they would be like even thinking about, they'd be avoiding even thinking about it Mm. and, and really, really like anxious and aroused and um, having nightmares and night terrors and, um, uh, those kinds of symptoms, like really, really intense. And so the reason that those intense symptoms, it's like intense avoidance of the situation. But if you take them back and have them explain what happened and then have them give them coping skills and, and things like that. Uh, and again, this is not my area of expertise at all. Uh, but if you do that, um, that kind of a therapy with them and have some of the stimuli that are related to their experience, it kind of, like right now they use something called imaginal exposure therapy. So the therapist and patient will, the therapist will ask the patient to take them back to when that happened and they'll slowly go through the exposure to it so that the patient isn't avoiding the stimulus as much. The the thing with the virtual reality is that it just helps create the context for that. Like you can go to the place or be in a place that reminds you of it. Another example I've used with patients is uh, Google, Google street view. I've, I've actually gone into uh, a patient's right outside of a patient's house. Um, and I've taken the, the 360 pano from there and you can put that into VR chat and do therapy outside of their house. Hmm. Uh, so that, that that's kind of exposure in a way because you're exposing them to the context in which the abuse took place. And then it helps them kind of, it brings a lot of that emotion back. And then by bring, by letting that emotion flood and not having them try to inhibit or avoid it, um, 
it's just like exposing someone to the dog that they're really afraid of and them realizing, oh, it's not that bad. I, I can control this. I can't have control. And, and then it's a really powerful therapeutic intervention for that person. My the, the thing that helped me break through that trauma for me and, and, and allowed me to be more open to it was a psychedelic experience where exactly like what you described, I was flooded by those memories and I had to and I had to sort them out. I had to figure out how I how I felt about them, and how I could move forward past them. And um, it was yeah, it wasn't overnight, but it but that one ex- particular psychedelic experience left me um, perhaps with the foundation to start building myself back up. Um, yeah. And so yeah, and that's yeah. Go ahead. Uh, no, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna ask you, you know, and so I, I was gonna ask you like how. You as a mental health professional, like, how do you keep, how do you keep yourself healthy mentally? Like, I'm sure, you, I'm yeah. sure you're you're like offloaded with all this trauma, with all this like really bad stuff happening to people, you know. And like, how do you take care of yourself? What do you do? Um. Well, VR chat is really nice. <laughs> no, I just seriously it's really you know i mean social support is really important and i have friends in real life but also vr chat is just an amazing source of social support for me end game is really validating but also seeing patients improve it really makes it all worth it like seeing patients uh be learning the skills to regulate their emotion without drugs or you know taking off the headset and they say all my anxiety is gone and they feel different for the rest of the day and things like that like it's really it's very rewarding to to have that impact on people's lives and and really um humbling to have people trust you with with so much information you know you know and and so it's a really i think it's one of the deepest ways that two humans can connect is when one is revealing their most vulnerable uh thoughts and feelings and things like that and so it's a it's a really rewarding and meaningful uh, thing. And that, that's kind of what keeps me going, uh, you know, with that, but it, it can get tiring, but again, yeah, VR, or sometimes it's not VR chat. Sometimes I go into audio shield and play a really awesome song on hard and, or elite or whatever. And, um, it just feels awesome. You know, it, it feels really good after I get in that state of flow and just kind of, yeah, have a good emotional experience with that. Yeah. Audio shield. That's a, such a good game to unlock. I, I think it's a great game to witness. If you want to witness what neuroplasticity feels like in real time, like <laughs> there it is. There it is. Your brain adapting, your muscle, like your, your muscle cortex or whatever part of your body. Motor cortex, yeah. Motor cortex is adapting and, 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 and so is your visual cortex and all of them are coming together. And like as you get better and better and you play more and more, you almost feel like you're like in like the same amount of effort that you used to take when you first started out like is almost gone and now it feels automatic it's such a crazy experience to have so i really do yeah. audio shield good good call on that one <laughs> also you know one other thing you mentioned you mentioned doing a psychedelic experience to provide insight it's interesting because there are therapies like uh mdma or you know assisted therapy or lsd assisted therapy and um i think it's interesting because Potentially, some of the mechanisms that help that work might be similar to what is helping uh, virtual reality with people because it, it's still altering your mood um, with virtual reality and kind of creating this novel experience and helping people shift their frame of reference um, and things like that. So I think it's interesting that maybe some of the literature uh, on that can help um, uh, highlight some of the mechanisms that are working with the virtual reality in therapy as well. 
Yeah, I've been trying to self-medicate for a long time without me knowing that I had issues. And I was just seeking seeking, seeking all sorts of ways to like figure figure what was going on. And, and yeah, it's still a work in progress and I got a long ways to go, but so does everybody else and we just keep going. And uh, the other thing I wanted yeah. to ask you was, um, what is, have you figured out, have you been able to put numbers on the efficacy rate of treating addiction with virtual reality versus using other more traditional methods? No. So that's a good question. Uh, that's going to be my dissertation probably. <laughs> um, yeah. So I still have a long ways. I still have four more years of graduate school left. So, uh, a little bit of time to figure that out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a big thing with the opioid crisis using medication assisted treatment. So a lot of people have heard of like methadone. Um, but, uh, there's also like buprenorphine now, and these are like opioid antagonists that basically attach to the receptors that opioids would and, um, you know, block or maybe they provide some of the craving, you know, they provide some of the uh, substance that people are actually craving and things like that. Uh, but I really want, and, and a lot of doctors are prescribing this because they see it, you know, from, from the doctor's perspective, if they prescribe this, that's, this decreases the mortality rate by like 40% if they prescribe it for someone who's using heroin and, and trying to quit. Um, but I really want to, for my dissertation, I think I want to do a randomized control trial, which is where you compare different kind of conditions to answer the question that you just asked and do and kind of see, like, is this medication needed? Like maybe do a VR only condition and then do a medication only condition and then do a VR and medication condition. So, you know, do you really need to have someone on an injectable drug for the rest of their life to not, you know, relapse with heroin or can you use something like virtual reality uh, to potentially make a big dent in it? What has hosting Endgame taught you about yourself? so far oh um hmm i think it's taught me just a lot about you know what other people think about the world i think it's just a really interesting um format to have discussions i mean you know we really try to encourage um instead of it being like a show where people are just watching we really try to encourage active group discussion and now we have a discord server, which you can find if you go to like endgamevr.com, you can find that there and we have a lot of conversations. So I think it's, it really has taught me that, um, you know, exploring ideas is okay on your own, but when you do it with other people, the depth of the conversation is so much greater, uh, because people really have amazing views and questions and thoughts that they bring to the table that it's really, really fun to explore a lot of these concepts with other people. And, and the more people participate, the richer the conversation. Yeah, I, I sorry for uh, jumping back and forth between subjects, but I, I had another question about the opioid epidemic, and I want to, you know, we have listeners from all over the world, and I, I, I want to put a little bit of context in their mind, like, how did it get so bad? Oh, God. Well, Purdue Pharma, the Sacklers, um, the, there's this family called the Sacklers, and basically they... Uh, they started advocating for pain treatment. Uh, they said that pain was a huge issue and that people shouldn't be untreated with pain and that they had this amazing drug, Oxycontin, that was long-lasting and that would treat everyone's pain. Um, and the issue was that what they were prescribing, what they got doctors to prescribe, first of all, they did a misleading study that said only 1% of patients will become addicted. So doctors thought they could prescribe uh, Oxycontin without people getting addicted. And they said it lasted 12 hours so that people only had to take it twice a day. 
Well, in reality, Purdue's research actually showed that it lasted eight hours and not 12 hours. So what that means is that people who only took it twice a day uh, with the prescribed amount from the doctors who thought that it wasn't addictive started going into withdrawal very, very quickly because it, the drugs weren't lasting as long as they were supposed to. So then what they're going to withdraw and they start taking more and then they build tolerance and they keep taking more. And that's basically how we got to to this point was this one family, the Sackler family that has all these institutes. They, they give millions of dollars of grant funding to pot, like, to, um, you know, helping the world and all this stuff. But all that money has come from uh, a really, really corrupt kind of uh, approach of, uh, you know, prescribing opioids and getting people hooked. And now they're making money off of the, you know, methadone and um, naltrexone and all these kinds of different drugs. Uh, they're like double dipping, you know, big pharma is making money on the crisis with the drugs and then they're making money on the treatment for the crisis as well. So it, it's pretty pretty disgusting honestly jesus it's that's insane man that's crazy and like and you know what it's it feels like it's like um they started this problem and it and it and only they can actually like like i I can see them pivoting into like marijuana and then all of a sudden saying hey we got the cure now this is gonna be the thing and now right and they're gonna make money on 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 legal weed like the, the, no matter what happens, I just have a feeling like these people are going to always find a way to win um, and get and get up uh, above everybody else. Like that's so crazy. So crazy. Yeah, it's uh, and also now that the U.S. has caught on these companies, just like the cigarette companies are going to other countries like Purdue Pharma is going to other countries to market Oxycontin as the solution to everything. So um, people from other countries are now going to start getting uh prescribed you know opioids and and the same crisis is going to occur there oh no and they won't have those countries won't have the same mental health infrastructure that we have mind you not that ours is that great but 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 at least there's something and yeah there's countries where there's no there's no safety net there's none of that and so that is super sad to hear is 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 do you see like a, a campaign to educate to perhaps you know, and is that at all effective because of just how addictive these things are? Like, what what can be done at this point to sort of counter what what's going on? Besides, obviously, you know, finding alternatives like virtual reality. Like, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is an education campaign going on. I think doctors are being much more careful about prescribing opioids, which has issues because if people really do need them for pain, then that's a whole issue. But yeah, I think education awareness. Um, and uh, I think that hopefully better mental health treatment through VR might prevent people from even falling into using opioids to regulate emotion. I mean, I think what happens is you know, people get prescribed opioids for back pain and then they realize that it's also treating their anxiety or depression. So if we have other ways to treat the anxiety and depression that's equally as accessible as simply taking a pill, um, you know, maybe that could do a big, big, uh, make a dent kind of in the crisis and everything. Do you think it would be if like uh, it would be shady or sketchy if VR started marketing itself as a mental health enhancer or a cognitive enhancer or something like that? Just so that because when you think about it, it's like uh, I heard the statistic where one and a half half of all Americans adults are gonna end up with some sort of mental disorder at some point in their lives. That's half the population. That's a lot of people. And so yeah. And, and and so the capitalistic side of me is saying that's a big market, Chris Miranda. We could capitalize on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. Like I 
there's an app that's trying to get that get FDA approval, but they're charging like five thousand dollars for a month of cognitive behavioral therapy with the app, and it's just like, you know, it, it's it, there's a, there might be a lot of money to be made, but I really hope that um, one, I, I don't want claims to be made that aren't accurate. So like things like luminosity, that kind of branch of making claims that you're built training your brain and all that kind of stuff. It's not really scientifically backed, even though they say it is and things like that. That's kind of sketchy. Um, and also VR, there's going to be a lot of VR that's used for bad and that there's going to be a lot of negative influences of VR. But I think that, um, you know, yeah, I think there is a lot of potential for it to be used as an effective mental health intervention. That's kind of what I'm trying to work on, but also, you know, a big risk, uh, you know, I talk to people about this a lot. It's like all these shootings that we've seen, um, you know, people are trained. I mean, people are essentially getting, I mean, the military used to be VR for training for years and people are essentially learning how to hold a gun, how to dot, how to move around with one, how to hold it and aim. A lot of, you know, kind of minute motor training is occurring. Um, and I'm worried about, you know, the next mass shooter who's been trained in VR on how to hold a gun and shoot it and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be, you know, they might be able to kill a lot more people. So I am really worried about those kinds of things and causing violence and, um, you know, stuff like that. But uh, VR is going to have a lot of negative effects and side effects. And same with Facebook. I mean, people thought Cambridge Analytica was bad with the scandal, but like Facebook's tracking all of your movement and what you're saying in VR and all that kind of stuff. And that's going to be a lot more um, personal data and same with eye tracking. So, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff where VR has um, a, lot, a lot of potential, but there's also a lot of risks. And uh, I think it's important for us to remain vigilant, uh, you know, on those potential risks as we kind of move forward with the technology. Interesting. So I have a question. Do you think that the uh, I have a chicken versus the egg kind of question? Like, do you think the mass shooter came first or does the virtual reality came first? And, and what I'm asking is, um, are people... Or will people who will people who aren't predisposed to become mass shooters will become mass shooters because they have the simulation training, or is it that people who are likely to become mass shooters are attracted to this kind of experience anyways? What do you think? Yeah, that's hard to say. Um, I do think there's probably a propensity uh, for violence that can be unlocked through experience. Um, I mean, we know that with genetics that any type of psychopathology, even like depression, anxiety, but also psychopathy and things like that can be unlocked through environmental experiences. That's called epigenetics, where like the genetic expression depends on your experience um, in the environment. It's kind of this gene by environment interaction. So yeah, I think that a violent environment in a kid who normally wouldn't have been exposed to that could potentially elicit violence. Not saying that happens with everyone, but I think it's definitely a risk. Oh, so hold on. If my mother experienced a and my father experienced a civil war, what sort of epigenetic uh, effect would that have on me? Well, this is more I mean, that could that would be a lot more indirect. But like this is more like you already have the propensity, like your grandfather was a serial killer and you're not a serial killer. But maybe if you're exposed to a certain kind of stimulus uh, at a young age, that it could kind of like increase the chances of your being a serial killer. Okay, then I'm okay. I should be fine. <laughs> yeah, you're like, don't worry. For the record, my grandpa is not a serial killer. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. My mother of course, was a, of course. a soldier in the army in the Civil War in Nicaragua, but she wasn't. She wasn't a. a, a, a she's not a born killer. Definitely not that kind of person. Wow. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, what was I going to ask you? Um, man, we've been everywhere in this conversation. I, I got man. 
<laughs> I got tangled yeah. up in my head. Do you have That's any okay. other thoughts that you know come to mind about what you've learned about people in in virtual reality? Like when you do Endgame, like what is that? You know, do you have any idea of like what that demographic of people who are coming to virtual reality look like? You know, what do we or what would what do we all have in common that it makes us go to virtual reality at this point? Um, I think we're all nerds at this point. <laughs> that's that's the thing. But uh, no, I, I mean, I think Endgame is a really beautiful example of where the power of virtual reality and bringing people together with different perspectives. Um, it's really amazing. I mean, there's no, you know, normally if you're in a situation with other people having a discussion, there's some kind of unifying theme of how the people got there. I mean, the same with VR, but like, Age is normally uh, pretty pretty similar amongst groups of people who are having discussions or maybe geographic location. But with, with uh, Endgame, we have people from all over the world who come to our discussions and offer completely different perspectives. And, you know, I, I'm really always impressed with the audience and ability to add to the conversation and be productive and not be, uh, you know, very, very rarely do we get into disputes or things like that. And so in a climate where everything feels like, oh, my God, you know, liberals and conservatives, which I think a false economy anyway, but the uh, liberals and conservatives are arguing with each other. No one's listening to each other. It's really cool to come into VR and, and have discussions in Endgame that can get heated, but that are that have completely different perspectives and people are able to honor each other's opinions and really kind of like work together to explore ideas. It's a really cool, uh, you know, it's a really cool venue that we have for, for this, these kinds of discussions. And in a way, the beautiful thing about having these venues is that if someone's being a jerk, you could just block them and and True. Damn, that's or vote kick them or vote <laughs> kick them. It's super easy yeah. to moderate. Like and then the emoticons, the fact that people can give you thumbs up and little hearts and stuff like without saying anything like that carries a lot of I don't know, that carries a lot of uh that carries a, a, a good amount of emotional communication. Like when, when I'm giving a talk or when I'm talking or when I see a, a or I'm seeing a, a, someone perform and people are throwing hearts at them, I, I it's like this. It, and then it makes me want to throw hearts at them. It may, it's like this sort of connection yeah. form with this experience. Exactly. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, what are your... Uh, like for in 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 and so what are your like in the next year or two what are your sort of goals with what you're doing in the realm of mental health well i think it's uh you know right now we're seeing really cool effects but i haven't quantified them or proven them so i think that yeah that's kind of my next goal over the next year is to really uh develop a an intervention that works that we can prove that works and hopefully get it into the hands of the people who need it the most yeah, well, how can people help out or, you know, perhaps get more involved with the work you're doing or, or help in any way? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think uh, if people are interested in learning more, they can go to my website, which is just psychnoah.com. So like P-S-Y-C-H and then N-O-A-H.com. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a contact form. So if people ever want to contact me and ask questions, I'm happy to to answer them uh, right now, you know, I'm only doing therapy with patients like in the inpatient rehab center um, and things like that. But eventually we're hoping to expand this uh, uh, quite a bit. So uh, but for now, you know, it's mostly uh, 
patients in the rehab center, but you know, if people are interested, I'm happy to keep them updated and all that kind of stuff. Do you foresee a future where psychologists will be doing their practices in virtual reality, perhaps? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting all, almost all my clinical hours are in virtual reality. I'm going to hopefully have some of the other students here, uh, other clinical students who want to do it in virtual reality also do that. Um, I mean, I see a future in which therapists are replaced by AI, but, <laughs> you know, that's the less popular opinion amongst therapists. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, if there's a good AI, everyone will try it before they pay a dollar for therapy, you know, or a hundred dollars for therapy. I think everyone will be willing to, to try that. So that'll be kind of interesting to see where that goes. But, you know, if it's a good, I haven't even, that hasn't even crossed my mind at all that one day I might be a, I might have a therapy session with an AI. I'm trying to figure yeah. out if it would be like an uncanny valley sort of thing where like your brain just doesn't want to accept that it's, uh, accept it because, rejects it because it's not real. Like one of the experiences I had going inside the, um, going inside virtual reality for a hundred hours was that my brain, my subconscious was, while I was asleep, in VR, well, you know, wearing the headset, I I would have these dreams where I would kept trying to kill myself, and it and then I in the subtext of it, I what I try to piece together is that my subconscious was trying to tell me to reject this reality, like take off the headset, Chris, this isn't real, <laughs> like 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 it just wow yeah it was like that's like a part like yeah like it was like four days of putting putting having the headset on, and you know the three nights that I slept I would have these kind of like dreams where that was the theme. And, and, and so I kept trying to figure out like, why would I, ha what would I have those dreams? What, what was that? And so the subtext again is like, oh, maybe it was because my mind, my subconscious was thinking like, hey, this reality isn't real, Chris, you should get out of here. You should do whatever it takes. And I'm going to, and I'm going to send you that message loud and clear through your dreams. I felt like, I don't know. Um, wow. So I, that sounds really intense. Yeah. Well, yeah. And this is why I don't recommend someone go a hundred hours in VR <laughs> because yeah, seriously, uh, because wow. aside from the side effects on your eyes, the, the, the mental strain is really tough on you. It's not easy. Um, and so I wonder, like, do you think we'll reject, um, or to some degree, our subconscious will tell us if this isn't a real person or will it be so good enough that it won't matter? You know, I, I wonder. Yeah, I think people I think the key is that people be willing to try it before. I mean, it won't work for everyone. Some people will need therapists, but um, I think everyone will be willing to try it first. And uh, although maybe, you know, maybe it'll get more people seeing therapists, maybe it'll increase it because right now. I think a lot of people will think about seeing a therapist, but they don't, and they, they kind of like don't take that step to find the therapist. So maybe if they try with an AI and get a taste of therapy, maybe that would actually lead more people to see therapists. Um, you know, I mean, this is a while out, but yeah, I think in the meantime, I do think more people will be doing therapy in virtual reality. So that's pretty exciting for me to, you know, to, try, to be working on and trying to build and um, ultimately just trying to help, you know, help more people through this medium. What's your ultimate dream? What's your what's the ultimate goal that you have in mind? I think it would be really cool for someone to be able to just, you know, from home, if they need therapy, just be able to put on a headset and get it, you know, as opposed to right now where you have to find a therapist, you have to call them, leave a message, wait for them to call you back, find out if they work for either health insurance, find out how to submit a claim, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, if, if we can really break that process and make it much easier for people to get therapy, uh, my dream is that, you know, we can really start to prevent, you know, depression or anxiety from even developing because it becomes so normal for someone to just put on their headset and get therapeutic intervention. I think that'd be really cool. 
Indeed. And I wonder, what do you predict, uh, and I know prediction is a very scary word, uh, what do you think would be some of the long-term side effects uh, on, on people's psychology when um, virtual reality is, is here for, the net in, you know, for 10 years? And, we, and we're all used to VR, and it's been 10 years, and we sort of all just accepted it. What do you think will begin to develop? What behaviors, what sort of like mm. <laughs> weird kinks will start developing? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think that people will be able to explore possible selves, like who they want to be in a whole new way. So I think identity will change. People's sense of self will change. They will be able to, you know, be whoever they want, kind of like the Oasis and Ready Player One. Um and I think, honestly, my kind of something I talk a lot about on Endgame, and also for, I guess I haven't explained that Endgame is a show where we talk about the future. So we talk about technology, psychology, futurism, all that kind of stuff. And I think that um, I think climate change is going to get a lot worse. And I think that uh, as virtual reality becomes the norm, I think it's going to uh, counteract the negative effects of climate change. Like, you know, the more snow days that we have, the more it's torrential downpours, the more people are going to stay inside. I think VR is going to become an outlet for people to be able to, you know, go explore when it's, you know, pretty bad weather outside or if it's 120 degrees outside and you don't want to leave your house or whatever. Um, I think that's going to be like a big uh, kind of uh, use of VR that's going to that's going to be a big way that kind of helps us uh, as a society. Holy crap. You just predicted the thing that's going to make VR mainstream. Yeah, climate change. <laughs> we're all gonna, you're all gonna realize that holy shit, it's raining every day, or it's too hot, or it's probably too cold as well because of the temperature variation, and we'll realize that shit, it's shitty to be outside, and might as well just go inside the metaverse. Um, the other prediction exactly. that I have that could also make VR mainstream is that well, Bill Gates was talking about like you know he predicts or he says that there's gonna be the the chance that we might have some sort of super bug, some synthetic, with synthetic biology engineered, with synthetic biology that, you know, kills millions of people is very likely in our lifetime. And I'm thinking to myself, mm. well, if, if something like that becomes a thing and then everybody's scared to go outside because they might catch that bug, ah. then, then that's another a scenario where VR just takes off because, you know, of that necessity to stay away and not catch that new version of the Black Plague. Exactly. No, I, I completely agree. I think that's going to be huge. It's 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 it sucks that, that we require some dystopian scenarios for the for a future virtual reality. But aside from that, I think that you know VR, if climate change doesn't get worse, which I think it will, uh, unfortunately. And I actually yeah. am beg, betting on. I was talking to Nomino about this that I was betting on CRISPR getting good enough where we'll be able to engineer a tree that is a hundred times bigger and can absorb a hundred times more carbon dioxide and grow a hundred times faster and, and that'd plant, be cool and plant them with an army of drones all over the world then i think we would be able to like offset maybe maybe some of the effects that we've had um huh. but that's yeah that, that's the only hope that i'm holding on to that someone is going to do that <laughs> because otherwise you know i can't think of another scenario where we sort of escape unscathed from this climate change sort of uh, phenomena situation. I know, it's pretty scary. <sighs> but, you know, all we can do is, you know, try to be active and prevent it from happening, I guess, but and adapt. Yeah. 
I think I think we'll be okay. I, I hopefully we'll be okay. You know, I'm I'm I gotta remain hopeful and optimistic. It's it's gonna it's work. You know, and humans are great when our backs are against the wall. That's the one thing. Like we're gonna realize that holy shit, um, we have nowhere else to go but forward, and that's the direction we'll take it. We'll take uh, once uh, once we realize that things are at the precipice. We're not there yet, though. That's the problem. And humans are so reactionary that it's 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 uh, it's it's sad. It's it sucks that it's it's that way. But oh, I know. We'll figure something. Well, out. we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah, we'll come. You can come discuss it on Endgame again. <laughs> <laughs> what are your biggest hope for hopes for the future of virtual reality? I know we sort of been talking a little bit about in the realm of mental health, but you know, it, for virtual reality as a whole, what do you think are your biggest hopes? Yeah, that, I think that I hope that it can just help people, you know, help to unlock possibilities that before people weren't able to achieve. So whether it's, uh, you know, being able to travel if someone couldn't afford that or being able to stay connected to people who are far away and those kinds of things. I think it's just going to be a really an equalizer in a way, um, you know, for people who might not have the resources to be able to do what they want. It'll allow them to at least explore new possibilities and um uh, you know, help them cope with reality a little bit. Very cool. And on that note, I'm going to start bringing things down to a close. Do you have any last thoughts that you want to leave the listeners with before we close things off? Um, yeah, one key I just want to kind of emphasize again is that, you know, everything I've been doing with this intervention is uh, we're still exploring it. And it's not like a proven intervention. I don't want people to think that they can just buy VR and, you know, treat their mental health problems or anything like that. Like it's all experimental right now. We're still in the phase of exploration. I just want to make that clear because I don't want to, you know, have people or even contacting me thinking that, you know, Oh, I have an addiction right now. And if I buy the VR, I can treat it. You know, we're pretty, we're still a little bit ways off from that. Um, I'm trying to work as fast as I can to, uh, you know, conduct the research necessary to develop an effective intervention. Uh, but you know, it's still definitely in the early stages right now. You know, let me know if there's anything um, I can do or to help in that uh, process because I feel like what you're doing is going to change the world for the better. I really do. I'm excited for the work you're doing, my friend. Um, thank you. Thank you. And thanks for having me. This has been really interesting. You're, you're really good at uh, interviewing, so it's really cool. Thank you. Uh, and, yeah, I, I try. How can people stay in touch and follow all the things you're doing these days? Yeah, just uh, my website, psychnoah.com. Um, and then you can also feel free to message me. I'm on the VR Chat Discord. Uh, Psych is my username and in VR Chat. And come to Endgame. And, uh, if, you know, if people want to add to the conversation or are interested in any of these topics that we've discussed, uh, you can, yeah, come to Endgame. And then endgamevr.com um, has a link to our Discord. We also have a Discord channel um, where we discuss, it's called Deep Thoughts, and we just kind of have like intellectual conversation about different things. Um, yes, so yeah, that's exactly what I crave when I go into virtual reality. So it's right up my alley. All those, all those links, I'll make sure to include them in the show notes. Sykes, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. This is great.